bright palette of colour. Life is full of these grey areas, it's not just black and white. An identity-forming experience. You are listening to Eastside Radio Podcast, with discussions and insights on art, politics, music and more, here on eastsidefm.org. If you are still seated, I'd be very surprised. We've just been talking about huge global forces, conveyor belts of water moving around, having massive impacts on climate and weather. And now we're going to talk about going down into the microorganism level, which was kind of involved in the last conversation too because we were talking about those tiny weeny nutrients at the bottom of the ocean and how dependent the entire web of life is on those. But now we're going to go into the dirt and I'm very, very honoured to welcome our next guest to the program, and that's Dr. Alison Downing. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, she was one of the first women to be employed by the Forestry Commission of New South Wales as a nurseryman, and she is a worldwide expert on mosses, liverworts and hornworts. And it's funny, but mosses and lichens have become much more fashionable uh, in the last couple of well, the last 10 years, I suppose. Well, I'm just going to bring her up and say, hello, Alison, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Oh, thank you very much for your invitation. We are most honoured because you have quite an illustrious amount of knowledge up your sleeve when it comes to these tiny little things in the dirt. And topsoil's been a bit of obsession for me for some time, which may sound odd, but um, I know that Australia doesn't have very much of it and we can't afford to lose what we have. And, of course, there are all sorts of reasons why we have been drying out of the of the continent's um, soils and land clearing and all sorts of other things that we're going to talk about impacting these microorganisms. So perhaps you can just tell us how you first became interested in the little things. Well, I was very fortunate to be at Macquarie University and to be able to work for Dr Patricia Selkirk and that was her interest. And we were actually in the Blue Mountains and we were looking for a project for a master's student and we were looking at Mount Wilson in particular and we were looking at the unusual species that you found sometimes that turned up on some of the Mount Wilson, Mount Tomar basalts but but not on some of the others. And it was quite an extraordinary project. So if the basalt had clay underlying them, then they had much more moisture and much more nutrient retention if they're overlying sandstone, then the moisture would just run straight through. So that those basalts, which were sitting on top of clay, had much richer diversity of bryophytes. And anyway, it was, it was absolutely fascinating. And then Dr. Selkirk turned around and said to me, well, why don't you do this? And I thought, well, I'd love to do that. <laughs> but in the meantime, we had an overseas visitor, Professor Will Schofield from University of British Columbia, and Dr Helen Ramsey and I was fortunate to accompany them to Janolan Caves. And again, we looked at more mosses and liverworts and lichens up there. And I was really quite intrigued because there's an extraordinary diversity of these small plants that you get on these limestone areas that don't turn up anywhere else. So you get these extraordinary mixes of species specific to limestones. You get rainforest species. You get species from arid western New South Wales. It was really quite amazing and it was just so intriguing and I finished up going ahead and and my research has been basically focused on that. So (laughs) I've just really enjoyed it. And although mosses are very, very small and readily overlooked, they can be incredibly 
incredibly beautiful and liverworts, which have an absolutely dreadful name, I must admit. <laughs> but, but under the microscope, some of those can be unbelievably beautiful as well, quite quite stunningly beautiful. Yes, so it's become an obsession, I must admit. And I've been fortunate to be able to work with um, some quite eminent botanists along the way. Yeah, I think after being largely ignored by most people, unless you lived in an area that was covered in moss and, and looked down all the time. I think for me, I first became aware when I came across Gathering Moss, which was the book by Robin Wall Kimmerer, which also inspired Elizabeth Gilbert, the novelist, to write The Signature of All Things, which was a book actually I found kind of frustrating and annoying. But, but um, Gathering Moss is a wonderful book. So you are now working in a field that's become extremely fashionable. <laughs> So that must be a bit of a shock. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I've never really bothered too much about fashion. I've just been happy to muddle along with things that interest me hmm. um, and that I enjoy. I think that's more important. I've been fortunate to be able to do that. Hmm. So that's been good. Yeah. So when we're talking about how these little ancient plants, maybe you can just give us a bit of a snapshot of how long they've been on the planet and when they started like did they come out of the sea with the algae or well i'm afraid i can't give you the actual time when they the came out of the sea <laughs> the date no that'd that's okay i'd have to put that that'd have to be homework but, but we do know that that the probable ancestor was a, a branched filamentous alga and of course they're they're, they're not moss earliest plants that came out of the sea they're descendants of the earliest plants that moved from the sea to the land and of course moving from the sea to the land it required significant changes in their morphology, their anatomy, their physiology because on land they had to survive sometimes very high light levels, a great range of temperature and desiccation and the effect of gravity and of course um, they're very much dependent on water for reproduction and that's continued with most species to this day. So. Initially, they were restricted to moist environments, but they very cleverly been able to move to other areas. Yeah, so they're quite amazing. Now, you've been studying a particular area uh, near Orange, which is home to a thousand species, which uh, I understand makes it one of the most densely populated habitats in the whole of Australia. And there are 18 species there that are in trouble. Um, perhaps you could tell us about that area and why it's so important and why we don't have these little microorganisms all over Australia anymore. Well, um, Mount Canobolus, just to the southwest of Orange, is quite an extraordinary mountain. Um, when I first collected there in 2001, I was expecting a volcano. And, of course, it's anything but one volcano. It's... It's an actual series of volcanic events. I gather it erupted between about for about 700,000 years, yeah. between about 13 million and 11 million years before the present time. Um, it's related to Mount Kapitar and the Warrumbungles and some of those more northerly volcanoes. Um, but the interesting thing, certainly for me working with mosses and liverworts, is that every particular eruption, um, there was a chemical difference in the substrate rocks so that 
on Mount Canobolus, it's quite extraordinary that you do get some species associated with particular lava flows and huh, not with wow. others. So it's, it's really quite amazing. But I, I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, Mount Canobolus, it's quite amazing. It's uh, just under 1,400 metres above sea level and it's about 500 metres higher than the surrounding land. This is the central west and I think from, you know, up to 100 kilometres from most directions, you can actually see it. It's not high by world standards, but by Australian standards, where we don't have very many high mountains, um, it does stand out. And it's extraordinary because on the top of the mountain, there's an amazing number of, of alpine species. You also get rainforest species in some of the gullies around waterfalls on the lower flanks of the mountain. There are also amazing what we call soil crusts which I gather you'll you'll know about um, from arid areas and in some of the built-up areas of course there are cosmopolitan species which are like you know a lot of our weeds like privet and lantana that seem to track us worldwide so there are some of these cosmopolitan species as well but for me some of these exposed rocky outcrops the lava flows that just have low heat and these extraordinary mats of, um, well, they're usually combinations of mosses and lichens, and almost certainly there'll be fungi, bacteria, cyanobacteria, the blue-green algae there as well. So a great mass. And, and you know, as I say, mosses, liverworts and lichens, yeah, they're, they're really quite amazing. And these, these were impacted very much by the 2018 bushfires. Mm -hmm. there, there was superb what we call soil crust. I can talk a bit more about that later. And the National Parks and Wildlife Service in Orange and the Orangeville Naturalists got together to invite me and colleagues from Sydney University and from the National Herbarium of Australia in Canberra to come up and have a look, partly to see if we could collect any new records for the mountain and also to have a look and see if it was possible that there was some recolonisation of some of these areas that had been impacted by the bushfires. So there's the bushfires yes. affecting these and the soil crust, for those who are listening and don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Alison, it really refers to the community of organisms that lives on the surface of soils, and it can be in a desert or a temperate area, or and it's that combination of algae and microfungi that you mentioned earlier. And they have been impacted not just by bushfires but by a lot of other things that have been introduced to Australia in the last couple of hundred years, such as the animals with the hooves, not very good for yes, yes. these little yes. soil crust communities. Well, I, I should explain a little bit more about soil crusts, that they're really quite complex and they vary often in their composition, but they can be mixes of algae, of fungi, cyanobacteria, the blue-green algae, bacteria... Um, lichens, mosses and liverworts and so there's this in incredible complex mix of organisms and all play various different roles but the bryophytes, the mosses, my particular interest, don't actually have roots but what they do is that they have very very finely structured um, structures called rhizoids which I suppose look a little bit like roots but they're more anchoring structures rather than structures that will take up nutrients and move it into the um, plant stem um, and they have the ability to 
move a lot of moisture by capillary action through these rhizoids and then up through stem and leaves and often the leaves have lots of ornamentation that enable them to hold the moisture and this is critical particularly in a lot of desert environments where where the mosses and liverworts in other ways and also the lichens they can actually store water and they form a crust and sometimes it's only very very shallow it might only be five millimeters deep but it's amazing that it actually stabilizes the soil and it will minimize the erosion both by wind erosion by water running over the top of it and it also provides a little bit of extra moisture for say invertebrates you know all sorts of other microorganisms so they're quite important for that purpose mm. and we we actually see quite a lot of these elements of these soil crusts up on Mount Penobolus. And thinking about rhizoids and the way they function, we were talking to the previous guest about how we have to change all our infrastructure as the climate's changing, and particularly in the east coast of Australia because we're probably going to have much more rain and flooding. We could be taking any architects out there, we could be taking a lot more from the structure of these plants, couldn't we, in terms of how we build our cities and design uh, our communities, but that's another conversation, but fascinating. And you're saying that they make everything else else involved in that community grow with more fertility and increase like flowering plants what kind of animals and insects and so forth flourish in these conditions when you've got a nice healthy soil crust i I would imagine that there would be a a multitude of of insects Mm. but also often they provide a base for seed germination Mm -hmm. of flowering plants and so that that also can be quite a practical advantage Mm. Yeah, so, so we, we don't want to lose them. No, definitely not. <laughs> so, so a lot of things have been impacting these microorganisms, and Mount Conobolus is a great place to study it. What's the anxiety about these soil crusts in this area now? Are we going to have them in another hundred years? Do we need to do something? Should we all become bryophyte fans? What? What? <laughs> No, look, I don't think so. Look, I think it's really important to protect the whole environment, Mm. you know, so that you don't need to go down to that minute level. But if you can protect, you know, from the alpine woodlands on the top of the mountain all the way through to the forests, you know, lower down, but certainly if you can protect those so that if you have walking tracks, have them well constructed. I noticed when we were there that national parks have installed a superb above ground walking track to a magnificent platform at the what's called the walls scenic area and that's an ideal scenario rather than having people walking across the ground i think there may well be a problem with feral pigs in the area Mm. i think from what i've seen it would be almost impossible for national parks to deal with that because the mount canobolus area is surrounded by pine forests by farmlands by a whole lot of other areas obviously that the pigs are just going to be coming able to come in from a whole lot of different areas they would be a problem as well but I think yes carefully planning the walking tracks carefully planning the roadways that run through the woodlands and forests I think these are all really important yes now you said that you've got no interest in fashion but the ABC's done a, an article on you online and you're sporting a very 
beautiful blue outfit with a matching aqua top. And I only mention that not just to make you laugh, but also to ask you, do you have to wear special boots when you're clumping around amongst the bryophytes? Do you no, wear special we, shoes? No, we don't. But I tell you what, you know, the knee pads that um, uh-huh. skateboarders use can be very, very convenient. You know, oh. if, you, if you're kneeling <laughs> down rather than having a, a knee on, on hard rock, they, they can be very, very you useful. You would do a lot of but, kneeling, yes. But the other thing that I think is very important is that Phytophthora, some of these soil-borne diseases, these can be a real problem so these days we're usually really careful about cleaning and scrubbing our shoes and boots before we go out into the bush. And again, we'll give them a clean before we come back. And I've spent a bit of time in New Zealand, been fortunate to be invited by New Zealand botanists to work with them just on short trips. And again, we do exactly the same thing, scrub our boots you know, before we go in. And probably for each location, you know, again, clean our boots. You, you just need a fairly mild detergent just to give a little bit more protection. So, um, yeah, so that's not really fashion. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. But it could become a behavioural fashion. Do you think people should be careful when they're jumping around in the bush? Look, I think it could be useful. I noticed up in the Mount Lofty Ranges, up behind Adelaide, when we were working there a couple of years ago, it's quite interesting because a lot of the, the public access paths through those parks close to Adelaide, they actually have little troughs, you know, asking you to walk through and, and they have it actually set up just for ordinary walkers. Mm. So it's very, very easy to do and I think that's very, very sensible. I am so happy we were able to talk to you. I hope you'll come on the show again and share any more research that you're involved with because I am not surprised that when you retired, well, I don't believe that you've retired at all by the sound of it, the Macquarie University Herbarium was renamed the Downing Herbarium in uh, in recognition of your services to the university and your role in the establishment of the herbarium. So we're very lucky to be able to talk to you today and we're very grateful that you found time to speak with us, Dr Alison Downing. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation to speak. It's been lovely. Thank you so much, Alison. Have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. Ah, golly, we get some wonderful people on this show, don't we? Yeah. You have been listening to Eastside Radio Podcast. For selections of more enjoyable content like this, visit our website, eastsidefm.org, and click on Podcast.